Love the Lord. God is good. This morning we are uh, studying the book of Exodus uh, with the focus on the fourth section of Exodus. Uh, just maybe a two-minute intro for our visitors um, to kind of give you an idea of where we're at and why we are going to be studying what we're studying this morning. Um, in the fourth section of Exodus is where we have all of the law. It's, it starts with the Ten Commandments and then we end up with um, God speaking to Moses and Moses gets the ceremonial and civil laws. Um, but it's not so much about the law as it is about the fact that once God redeems a people, he has a way he expects them to live. And so we've, 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 we're like in sermon number, this is a 22nd sermon in this sermon series. And what we've learned is that God saved the people that were in slavery. He overcame their enemy. He led them into freedom. He parted the Red Sea. He provided a Passover lamb so that the death angel would pass over. Like God did all of these things, redeemed his people, set his people free, and then gives them the law. And so we see that God's law was actually given not to set his people free, not to save them, but to guide them and direct them. And we see that God expects that his people have a standard of conduct by which we live. And so that is what the fourth section of the book of Exodus is about. And that's what we're studying here on Sunday mornings at the Well Worship Center. Within the law, there are three sections. The Ten Commandments, and then the ceremonial and civil laws that were given to Israel. As we've already demonstrated in the weeks past, the Ten Commandments stand forever. They do not pass away. They are not obsolete. But they are God's law, the Ten Commandments that were spoken from the mountain. They are the only part of the law that was written with God's finger on stone. They are the only part of the law that was uh, spoken to all of Israel. Israel heard the Ten Commandments down off the mountain. And then they had Moses go up to talk with God about the rest. The Ten Commandments are the only piece of the law that was put inside the Ark of the Covenant, inside the temple, inside the Holy of Holies. And so it's separate. The Ten Commandments, the law of God, is separate from the ceremonial and civil laws of Moses. That section, the Ten Commandments, is what we've been studying now for three weeks. And we're going to conclude the Ten Commandments this morning. Last week, we looked at the Ten Commandments specifically. This morning, what I want us to look at is the link between love and the law. How the two of them are tied together. Our text is eventually going to be Matthew uh, chapter 22. But before we get there, uh, I've got a lot of other ground that I want to plow. And so rather than having you stand and read uh, Scripture as we traditionally do here at the well on Sunday morning, I'm just going to open us in a word of prayer, and we will get straight to the message. Let's pray. Father, this morning we are grateful for the opportunity to gather and to worship you. We are grateful, thankful, Lord, for souls that are still being saved, lives that are still being changed. God, I know for me as a pastor, my heart has especially been blessed this morning as I look at people whose lives are being changed by other people. As I look at a 
body of believers that are out telling people about Jesus, that are making a difference with their lives. And consequently, your church is growing and expanding because of it. And God, I just thank you for it. Celebrate that this morning. God, as we get ready to read your word and look at the correlations between the law and love, God, I pray that you would anoint me to preach in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would um, help me to teach clearly in a way that everybody understands this morning. God, I pray this morning that you would be exalted and glorified. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, one of the things that happens inside of the Christian church on this topic is there are often two extremes. Do we keep the law or is love the only thing that matters? On the law side, the extremist will say that what really matters is that you got to keep the law, you got to do all the things God says to do. It's a whole list of do's and don'ts. How many how often do you go to church? How much Bible do you have to read? How many hours do you got to pray? How many things do you got to do? How much money do you have to give? Give me the list of do's, give me the list of don'ts and it's all this list of things that we might call laws that you have to keep. Every now and then someone will from the other side of the you know the other side of the spectrum will shout over to those folks, "Hey, but all that matters is that you love God." And they will say, "Yeah, but if you love God, you'll keep his commandments." I'm going to show you the passage in a moment. It's true. But on the extreme side of this, people forget that it's actually possible to keep all those commandments and not actually love God. And this is what the Pharisees and Sadducees and religious teachers of Jesus' day were guilty of. If you were to look at a pie chart of their life and take a look at all the laws that you could point out to in the Scripture, these people were keeping 98% of them. I mean, they, they were doing a good job. Yet Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you'll not make it to heaven. In essence, they're not making it to heaven unless something changes. And we're going to see why that, that ultimately they didn't have a love for God and they didn't have a love for people. And I'm, before we're done and we leave today, hopefully you see the correlation between love and the law. But there are some that are extremists. It's all about do's. It's all about don'ts. And that, first of all, it's a very terrible way to live your Christian life. And it either does one of two things. It makes you feel like you could never measure up. Or, if you happen to set a standard you can measure up to, kind of makes you think like, hmm, I'm a righteous person. I do this. I do that. I'm spiritual. I know this. I know that. I give this. I serve here. And so we have to guard against what we would call legalism. On the other side of the spectrum, you come over here, and there's some extremists that are like, it doesn't matter at all what the law is, it doesn't matter what the rules are, all that matters is love. And you might point out, but, but you don't even go to church at all. And like, yeah, don't judge me, man, I love God. That's between me and God. Well, you, you, your life uh, looks just like everybody else in the world. You pretty much live just like a sinner. Like, who are you to judge, man? I'm not, don't throw the law at me. I love God. And you, ha- you have some really extreme spectrums. And what I, what I want you to see this morning is that both of those spectrums are wrong. The truth is somewhere in the middle. And it's not the law versus love. 
It's not love or the law, but that the two are actually woven together. And that it's, they, they work together. And so I'm going to show you three correlations between the law and love. Number one this morning, the first correlation between these two, is that God gave us the law because He loves us. That's an important truth. We read this passage in previous weeks, but I want you to see it again this morning. Deuteronomy 33, verses 2 through 4. The Lord came from Sinai, so that's where God gave the Ten Commandments. The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. Yes, He loved His people, all His holy ones who were in His hand. So, they followed in your steps, receiving direction from you when Moses commanded us a law as a possession for the assembly of Jacob. So the Bible says God loved his people, so he gave them direction by giving Moses the law. The Bible teaches us that God gave us the law, quite literally, because he loves us. You see, the law, it is good. It's meant to protect us. It's meant to give some direction to us. It's meant to tell us a little bit about the heart of God and the things that please God and the things that God says are right and the things that God says is wrong so that we have a better concept of the heartbeat of our God so that we can follow Him and live ultimately to please Him. The law protects us. Now, concerning earthly law, could you imagine if there was no earthly law? What if law was done away with on earth? Some of the things that we have witnessed in the last 10 years, and especially the last four, even in our own country, some of the things we've witnessed don't require us a whole lot of uh, imagination to wonder what it would look like without law. It would be anarchy, chaos, a world wherever who was meanest, most dangerous, most threatening, those people would rule. And everybody else would suffer. You see, the law is not bad, it's meant to protect us. It's meant to keep anarchy from just reigning and terror and, and, and ruining things. So, God gave His law out of love to govern us, to protect us, to guide us. Number two, the second correlation between the law and love. The law is kept by those who love God. I want you to see two passages where the Bible teaches us that love and the law, the commandments, are tied together. Jesus said in John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. In 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. So the Bible teaches us that there's this link on our end. Not only did God give us the law out of love, 
but we keep the law because of love. That when we understand the law teaches us the heart of God, it teaches us the will of God, we will desire to keep it. It might be explained this way. One of the ways that we demonstrate love to a person is by trying to help accomplish the will of that person. Husbands, if you know your wife likes a certain thing, she enjoys a certain thing, one of the ways that we demonstrate love is by hopefully trying to help her obtain that thing. The same thing's true, you turn it around. And so when I understand that the commandments teach me what pleases God, if I love God, I will want to do those things. And another way to explain this, if you look at the negative side of it, if I know that there are certain things that God hates, if there are certain things that God says are an abomination to him, if I love him, I won't want to do those things. The same is true, right, in the marriage relationship. If you know there are certain things that your spouse despises and hates, if you truly love your spouse, you won't want to do those things. And so love keeps the commandments. There's the link there between them. The third point is where I want to spend most of my time today. It's the major thrust of this message, and it's, it's, it's what we will see and then move beyond the Ten Commandments in the weeks to come. The third correlation between the law and love is this. Real love always goes further than the law. Real love always goes further than the law. We're going to look at a couple of passages where Jesus teaches us this. First of all, Matthew chapter 22, in verses 35 through 40. And before we read it, I want to set it up so you understand what's going on. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, one of the things they used to do was sit around and have high-minded religious discussions that were really aimed at making them feel like they're great, wise, spiritual men. But they would sit around and discuss things such as, in the entirety of the Law of Moses, which includes, right, the Ten Commandments, plus the ceremonial laws, plus the civil laws. I used to know the number. I forgot it. I think it's 700 and something. It might be more. But there are a lot of laws. And what they would do is they would sit around just for the sake of having religious discussions and they would say, what do you think the most ten important laws are and why? And then you'd talk. And then they'd talk to so-and-so. And what do you think the most important ten are and why? What do, you think, what do you think the most important is of all and why? And is this one here more important than this one and why? And just a lot of kind of ridiculous religious talk to make them feel spiritual. Well, they bring Jesus into the discussion, and let's look at how he answers. A lawyer asked him a question to test him. A lawyer means someone who specializes in the law. It's different than what we think of that word means. 
Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So let's break down Jesus' answer. First of all, it's interesting that what he says is not a direct quote in the Ten Commandments. You will not read any of the Ten Commandments and find it stated this way. If you're a part of the last couple of weeks, you know that the Ten Commandments can be broken into two major sections. The first four, our attitude and relationship towards God. The other six, our attitude and relationship towards people. And Jesus sums up all Ten Commandments in these two statements. Number one, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, with understanding what he's saying here, I want us to look at an important word in the text. In verse 40, it says, On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. There are two important words here. Number one, the word all. He says, all the laws, all of it, all 700 that you guys want to sit around and talk about like you're a bunch of wise guys, all of it, all, it depends on two things. Now, the word depend is also a very, very important word because it it literally means depend. It's not just a filler word. It means to hang something upon something. That's what it means. So in other words, all of this over here hangs upon this. And because it hangs upon this, if this falls, then this falls. That's what the word means. It's a very important word. It literally means to depend upon. And so Jesus says, All of the laws depend. They hang upon this over here. And if this falls, they all fall. And he says what it depends upon, two things. Loving God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And loving your neighbor as yourself. We see the great correlation between the law and love is that love automatically keeps the law. But Jesus is going to show us here in a moment that Love even goes further than the law. You could say it this way. That while love created the law, love does not need the law. Now just because love doesn't need the law doesn't mean the law is bad, doesn't mean the law shouldn't exist. Let me give you an example. If I love my wife, I don't, need the law to tell me not to commit adultery on her. Because I love her, I automatically won't. Love won't allow me to do that. The law is good. The law should still exist. And in God's kingdom, it certainly does. In God's kingdom, it is still against God's law to commit adultery. 
But as you see, love goes further than just keeping the law. Love automatically keeps it because love cares about God and cares about people and doesn't necessarily need the law to tell it, don't do this to people. Right? If I love you, I'm not going to murder you. Why? Because I love you. I just won't murder someone I love. But the law should still exist. It should still be illegal to murder people. And in God's kingdom, God's laws still stand. But love automatically keeps them. If I love my neighbor, I'm not going to steal from my neighbor. Why not? Because God said I can't? No, because I love him. I don't want to take his stuff. Now, the law is still good. It's not that the law shouldn't exist. I don't stand over here and be like, well, that doesn't matter to me. I can steal what I want because the law doesn't apply to me. No. While love is the greater of the two, love keeps the law. So it's not that the commandments disappear or have no bearing, but that they are automatically kept when we truly love God and when we love each other. Now, Jesus takes this a little bit further. In Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says several things, and I'm just going to look at two of them. But Jesus says several things uh, in this sermon and elsewhere in his teachings. It's kind of like, oh, you thought you had it all figured out, right? So So you religious people, here's what you thought God was trying to say. But I'm going to shine some light for you to see that you didn't really understand it. And that you only, like, you, you barely scratched the surface, but there's something much deeper there, and it comes down to the heart. It's about the heart of a thing. Let's look at two, and I've chosen these two specifically because they are part of the Ten Commandments. But Jesus does this with a handful of other laws. But let's look at two of them. Murdering and adultery. First, let's look at murdering. In Matthew 5, verses 21 to 22, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. I want to clarify a couple things that are said here. You just read it and you're just like, oh, so if I'm ever angry, that means I'm going to hell? No, that's not actually what it means. I want you to understand why. I want you to understand why. First of all, the Bible teaches us to be angry and sin not. As a direct quote from the word of God. So it's possible to be angry and sin not. So anger in and of itself is not a sin. The Bible speaks of God having a righteous anger. So there is such a thing as a righteous anger. And we see Jesus himself at times angry enough at the beginning of his ministry and the end of his ministry. 
where he came into the church and literally is like pouring people's money out of their bags and turning tables over and driving people out. And he was, in John chapter 2, it uses the term consumed with zeal for his father's house. So, what is the word anger here? It's an important word. In fact, some translations add this to the statement. It's not in the original, but they add angry without a cause. The reason they add it is because the word really insinuates that. The word that we translate anger here is a word that means, the, the, the definition of it is a word that means a type of malice where you desire harm to come upon a person. It's the type of anger that causes people to desire to see harm and hurt come. Jesus says, you have that type of anger towards somebody? Where in your heart, you are looking forward to their pain and suffering? You desire to see them hurt? He says, you've already murdered them in your heart. That's what you've done. He, he, uh, he says, um, whoever insults his brother and whoever says, you fool. So that word, you fool, like when we hear that, we're like, well, that's just kind of playing around. It wasn't here. And there's really not a better way in English to translate this verse, in my opinion. But when you understand the force behind it, this is a big insult. This isn't just like, hey, quit being fooling around. I mean, this is like, you are a complete, total disaster of a human being, and you don't deserve to live. This is the force of the words that Jesus is using. It's important to understand that in the point that he's making. But, understanding that, let's look at the point that he's making. Didn't actually kill anybody. Just wished it happened. I, I didn't actually destroy anybody. I just told them I wish they'd be destroyed. And here's what Jesus is saying. Yeah, you, you look at the old law, and you're like, well, that's where it stops. It's the act. And he says, no, 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 I'm telling you something else. It's not about the act. It's about the position of the heart. And if the depth of your heart, you're hoping and wishing that the same harm of murder would come to that person, you've already murdered the person in your heart. It's a heart issue. And this is why when we truly love our neighbor as ourself, we won't need the law to tell us how to behave like we it'll it'll automatically flow out of us jesus told his disciples an interesting statement he said a new commandment i leave with you and then he told them this that you love each other as i have loved you well loving each other is not a new commandment as we've learned right here it's actually been one of the greatest longest commandments there of all time one of the originals but he said, as I have loved you. That's the commandment. And Jesus came and demonstrated love for us that we'd never seen before. I mean, Jesus laid down his glory and his splendor of heaven to come and live here on this earth. To take on human flesh. He lived for 30 years in basically obscurity. We have very little knowledge of the life of Jesus the first 30 years of his life. Very little. He basically took all of his, you know, his... 
fame, if you will, all of his power, all of his glory, and laid it aside to come and live the life of a carpenter's boy. And then he demonstrated his love for his disciples, for his people, in serving us, healing us, being patient with us, ultimately going to the cross and literally dying for us. And Jesus says, here's the new commandment. The way that I've loved you, that's how I want you to love everyone else. And here he's teaching us, this really happens from the heart. Don't be like the Pharisees who are like, well, I do this and I do that and I do that. Technically, technically, I didn't murder him. He's still breathing, right? Technically. Jesus is like, no, stop that. Stop trying to get caught up in the, 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 the law and using the law to somehow demonstrate a righteousness that doesn't exist. Rather, recognize that what goes on in the heart is really what's happening. We see the same idea with adultery in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. A couple things about this passage. First of all, note how serious the New Testament, Jesus, teaches us to deal with sin. I mean, he's like, this is so big that if your sin is ruining your life, you should pluck out your own eye or cut off your own hand. Do whatever it takes to get sin out of your life. You need to understand that's the New Testament, biblical, God-given way from Jesus himself how we should view sin. It's not something to toy around with. It's not something to play around with. It's not something that's like, well, this is my sin. What's yours, man? No. This is how serious we should deal with sin. Also note, it's your responsibility to deal with your sin. If your eye, he says, causes you to sin, pluck it out. Now understand something. This is what the Bible calls, this is a term that we use to reference speech in the Bible called hyperbole. Jesus isn't literally saying you should take your eye out or cut your hand off. Especially when you understand that sin happens in the heart. So, but, but it's hyperbole to communicate how serious we should deal with sin in our lives. Now, back to our love and the law being tied together. So he points to the law of adultery, and he says, like, right, so you've, you, you've read in the Old, you've read in the Old Testament, you, you've, of old your fathers have taught you, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that if you look with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So Jesus teaches us that adultery happens in the heart. And there's some important lessons here, and I want us to, I want us to break them down. Number one, the most important lesson here, is a sin does happen in the heart. That's where it happens. That's where it originates. And so we can't, we, we've got to recognize that what God's after is the heart. And that if I truly love God and love my neighbor as myself, 
I'm not going to sin against my neighbor, and I'm not going to sin against God. And Jesus says it originates in the heart. By a show of hands, all you ladies who have ever lusted after a man, would you get your hand up high? No, just kidding. Put it down, ladies. And men, here's the thing, and this is the next important lesson. Jesus is teaching us two things. Yes, sin happens in the heart and it starts in the heart. And yes, we're all guilty. That's what he's teaching. All of us. And yes, it is impossible to keep the law perfectly. So while it's true that love keeps the law, we as fallen people, we don't love God enough and we don't love people enough to keep the law perfectly. And yes, Jesus is teaching that. There are other times Jesus taught stuff where his disciples are finally like the light bulbs going off and they're like, well, then who can be saved, man? And Jesus says, without God, it's impossible. And and that is the lesson here. So don't be mistaken into thinking that somehow the law is meant to be kept so that we can be saved, that somehow the law is kept and it makes us righteous. And when you really see what Jesus is teaching and you find out the law is broken in the heart, then it's like, well, wait a second. We've all broken the law. And yeah, at times in your life, you have been angry enough where you wanted to see harm come upon a person unjustly. You wanted to see undue harm. You wanted to see pain beyond what was right. You wanted to see punishment beyond what was just. Yeah, you're guilty in your own heart of of what the Bible calls murder. You've lusted it towards a person. Yeah, you're, you're guilty of adultery. And I was joking around when I'm like, raise your hand, but the reality is everybody would, right? We're all guilty. And so, we all need a Savior. I mean, that's the great big lesson here. Like, we all need a Savior. We all need forgiveness. The law does not bring me into right standing with God. And in fact, and it takes, it really does, take some help of the Holy Spirit to understand the correlation between the law and love. The Bible teaches us that the law is ultimately like a mirror that's meant to show us who we are. And so when you understand the depth of the law is about the heart and you start to see it, it's like, wait a second, I have a problem in here. I've got anger. I've got hatred. I've got lust. I've got all these things in me and I might not be acting upon those things. But when I understand that the heart itself is where it all originates, I'm guilty. God says, bingo, that's what you need to see. You got a problem. And you need a savior. And this is what Jesus died for, was so that your sins could be forgiven. And you need to put your faith, not in your ability to keep the law perfectly, but you need to put your faith in the fact that his blood is perfect, and his blood is sufficient to cleanse us of all of our sins and bring us into right standing with God. 
But do not miss this, because this is the point of us studying the law. If I really love God and I really love people, I'm not going to abuse the grace of God. I'm not going to come over here to the fake love and hyper grace crowd and say, well, I can't ever get my heart perfect. I'm always going to have problems, so I'm not even going to work on it. If you really love God, you will. Even if you know you're not going to be perfect at it. Even if you know that you're never going to perfectly love God and love people, if you really do love God and love people, you're going to work on it. Come on. That's a crazy mindset that I'm just going to excuse myself from any responsibility. And this is what Jesus is dealing with. Like, if that's really your heart, you're already... You, you're already in the wrong, going the wrong direction. You're already not where you need to be. You know, the irony for Joplin Emerson is the moment that I broke free from the law. Because I used to be a very legalistic person. Mainly out of fear. And it did create self-righteousness in my life. But I'm just telling you the reason I was legalistic was fear. I was afraid if I didn't go to enough church services, do enough things, study the Bible enough, pray enough, do enough, do this, do that, that God was going to do something bad to me. I mean, I was scared. And as I did all the things that I thought I needed to do, then I became self-righteous because I was doing all the things I needed to do. And I was, I was stuck in legalism in my early 20s. And the irony is it was the realization that I constantly break the law that opened my heart to the truth about grace. It was this passage where Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And I got to thinking to myself, so if that's the greatest commandment, what's the greatest sin? To this day, I hold to this view. The greatest sin the greatest transgression, the greatest crime against God is breaking the greatest law. Nobody has ever been able to convince me different. And so I became convinced I break the greatest law every day of my life. Maybe for a moment, maybe, I'm just being generous to myself, maybe for a moment, when I'm like really engaged in worship and I'm doing the best I can, and it says that with all the strength, all your mind, all your soul, like maybe for a moment, maybe for a couple minutes a day, maybe I could say I was doing it then, but all day, 24 hours a day? No. And I'm like, so I stand guilty of breaking the greatest of the laws Guilty of the greatest crime against God every day of my life. And for this legalist, all of a sudden, I'm like terrified. Like exactly where Jesus tries to bring all of his disciples. Well, then how can I be saved? How can I possibly be right with God if I can't keep the law? And I had the most... Life-changing revelation since being a Christian that all, when I look back over the three to four years leading up to that moment, I wasn't nearly as righteous as I thought I was, but God has still been good to me, and I was still a Christian, and I was still in right standing with God, and I'm like, but why? 
How is that possible? And here's the answer. Grace. God's undeserved favor. I realized that I was in right standing with God, not because I had attended so many church services, and not because I had memorized so much scripture, and not because I had prayed so much, and not because I hadn't done this, and hadn't, you know, I didn't watch this certain show, and I didn't listen to this kind of music, and I didn't do this, and I didn't do that. All those things that I thought brought me into right standing with God, I realized, no, the reason I'm in right standing with God is because the blood of Jesus cleanses me of all my sins, and Jesus' plan is complete, and I've got to quit putting my faith in my ability to keep the law, and I've got to just throw myself upon Jesus, and it changed my life. But listen, this is a very important piece about that moment in my life. As a legalist, I thought to myself before that moment, If I ever turned away from the law, if if anybody turns away from my way of thinking, they're just going to live however they want to live. They're just going to go out and live like sinners, and they're going to, oh, I can do what I want, live how I want, and and God's just grace is going to cover it, and so it doesn't matter. That was my mindset. If you believe that the law doesn't matter, and I'll tell you this, for me, it did the exact opposite. When I realized that I was a breaker of God's law no matter how hard I tried to love him and no matter how hard I tried to keep it and that he still loved me and that I needed God's grace and that the blood of Jesus was the only reason that I could come before God anytime ever and that my righteousness was not my own, it was Jesus' imputed to me. I'll tell you, for this person right here standing before you, it did anything in my life but make me want to go out and trample grace. And it changed the reason for why I wanted to live holy. I wasn't trying to earn the favor of God anymore. I wasn't trying to be righteous. It was because I loved him. And all of a sudden, because I loved him, I wanted to be even holier than I was. I wasn't like, I don't have to do this anymore. No more church for Joplin. That wasn't the heart. It was just like, God, what more can I do now to show you that I love you? Because you're good. It's like you first loved me. And so love does not abandon the law, but the reality is it doesn't really need it. It goes further than the law requires. Love doesn't say, what's the minimum I have to do to pass? Love says, what more can I do to demonstrate that I love you, that I care about you? And so Jesus tells us that ultimately all the laws, every one of them, you want to talk about all these laws between you and God and you and people, all of them, They depend upon two major things. And if you do those two things, you'll keep the rest. You love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your might. And you love your neighbor as yourself. All the rest of itself will work itself out. So the greatest of the two, the greatest of the laws are those two. To love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. Chris, I am going to ask you guys to come. I did not have us closed with a song of worship at the first service, but I want to do that today. Jesus shows us that the commands were never meant to be a place to stop. That the commands were never so much about the commands themselves, but they were about love and how we are to love God and how we are to love each other. This morning I ask you the question, when you think about Christianity, when you think about your relationship with God, 
Do you see it in the context of a bunch of laws and commands that you're supposed to keep? When, when you think about your relationship with God, and maybe you're here this morning and you feel like, hey, I'm not really where I need to be with God. Is it, is it possible at all, and hear me out on this, that the thing that keeps you from getting there is that you feel like being where you need to be with God means more laws. It means keeping more rules. You're just not sure you want to keep those rules yet. If that's you, I challenge you to stop that thinking. Stop focusing on what are all the things you're supposed to do and what are all the things you're supposed to stop doing. Just give yourself some time to do that. As I've already said over and over again, I'm not saying the law doesn't matter. It does. But just for a little bit of time, would you stop? And take your, your, your eyes and the ears of your heart and take your mind and you start, spend a couple weeks doing nothing but thinking about how can I love God more? What would it look like in my life if I just loved God more? Put all the rules aside. Stop thinking about them. Instead of praying, God, help me to stop doing this thing. God, help me to want to go to church more. Help me want to do this or that. Stop. Stop, 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 stop. Take some time to just say, God, would you do a work in my heart where I just grow to love you more? Let's just start there. Just Let's just start there. Help me truly love you more. Help me to know you more. God, help me Tell me to love people a little more than I do. And I promise you this, I promise you this. When that happens in your life, you'll find all this other stuff that you're all focused on, it just kind of ends up working itself out. 